0: Roy, delighted to have you on the show. Thank you. Don't Joseph. forget me. I know you don't like Sco- Michael. I Michael, thank like, you. You don't like a blended whiskey berry, but tough luck. That's fine. You know, it's important, I think, to talk a little bit about the past. You know, a lot of our episodes talk about current issues, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But, you know, between the three of us here, we've got 90-plus years. That's terrifying. <laughs> if you add it up, yeah. right? Um, and... Uh, You know, I I remember fondly um, back when, you know, we started practice and I met you and you you had a previous career as a heavy machine or what was it? Yes, a diesel mechanic. Diesel mechanic. From Alberta. But you were highly certified.
1: Oh yeah, I had a red seal so I could practice in any province in the country.
0: And, and, And that was so specialized you could make an actually a very good living at that. And for some reason you wanted to become a lawyer.
1: Yes, I always told people that I wanted a job where you wash your hands after you go to the bathroom instead of before.
0: (laughs) And, you know, we came through uh, weird times, but one of the things I fondly remember about you was you were creative because it happened during, back then when we were all young, you know, we were taking legal aid cases and, not that there's anything wrong with it now, but it's so chronically underfunded over the last three, four decades, it continues to be Chronically underfunded by our provincial government, who doesn't really give a shit about, um, you know, helping fund those who are quite vulnerable. But you had the mobile law office that you forgot about, and that's something I will never forget. How <laughs> could so you long forget about exist. that?
1: Well, just, and
0: just talk to us about it because so it's a great piece of history. Yes, well, it, it's like criminal law lore.
1: <laughs> when I when I left, the I guess the idea for that.
0: You were a Crown Attorney for a while.
1: Yes, I was a Crown Attorney in Brampton for a couple of years. And I did an undergrad at Carleton in law. And I did very well there. I was a TA in my second year and DA would two classes in my third year. And, and it's pretty unusual to get to be a TA in your second year. I, would, I had a lot of work ethic at that time. You still do. And I, yeah, not like those days. I was a well, the energy runs I was out a a a machine uh-huh. <laughs> but anyway, that that whole system at Carlton was all lawyers teaching students, and one of the main themes was access to justice. yeah and so I had a very fulsome education in access to justice and what it should mean and what it could mean. and So when I left the Brampton Crown's office, I remember telling Tyler Schuster, uh, who was a fantastic Crown, who worked with me there, that what I was going to do was get a big van with a raised roof and call it the mobile law office and carry all my case law around with me and my U.S. chucks and all the research materials. because. U.S. Yeah. Chucks, for our audience, are not nunchucks. They're not weapons. It was actually a famous criminal text. Yes. It yeah. remains so. It was one of those horrible ones where you get inserts and you have to put them in all the time.
0: Sadly, my book's like that.
1: <laughs> oh, I hate those. I would never buy another one of those. I you, you, don't, you probably can't. I take it you, you oh. haven't
0: purchased my book on dangerous offenders, but it's
1: okay, that's no, fine, go ahead. No, I haven't. But
0: this is a good story. Talk. I love this.
1: So anyway... Um, and this is
0: pre-internet, guys. This is
1: well, pre-a pre lot of This is stuff. the reason for it is because I was tired of doing trials where I didn't have my... Uh, Precedents, your precedence, resources. All my... Because in those days I had alligator files where I had like assaults and there was like 100 cases in it and there was threatenings and there was another 100 cases in there because that was the meat and potatoes of my practice in those right. days. Today it's called desktop folder. <laughs> right. and And so... The bonus of it was it was a fantastic personal vehicle where it would make a, the table that I used for meeting with clients or other counsel and things like that could go down and the cushions could go on and it made a bed and it had all the lights and air conditioning and everything you needed. So, while well,
0: you were a mechanic, so that helped.
1: Well, I didn't build it, I had someone build it for oh, me. Oh, okay. Be someone who knew how to sew and make the cushions and. Wow, that's so great. I had to get them to take the, the support beam that they put in the back where the back doors open out, so I could put my golf clubs underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have the if this van's a rockin' sticker? No, no. No, okay. But I Just had curious. a, I had a. But you had a computer on board. I, I had a cell phone, f- uh, fax machine. Wow, if you can <laughs> believe it. Yeah. No, I remember that. Yes. It, it might have worked, six times. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. cer- it certainly never received the facts. <laughs> wow. But occasionally, uh, I did get to send one. And I had a little miniature battery-powered printer, and it was it was really quite a setup. And you up. had all the case law with you. And I had all my case law with me. I had a, a whole big file of uh, charter precedents and things like that.
0: And you drove out to clients. You met them in your mobile law office. I did. And... I wish we had a picture because I remember it. Vi- oh, so do I. I, I remember it visually. It, it was white. In bram-
1: yes, it was white and black. It was very yes. visible. There is a picture on my uh, website. I'll
0: grab it. Grab it and put it on Because this was like, this is criminal law lore. It really is. Um, how advantageous did you find it during that time because well, we're ta- we're talking we had no access to internet right. there was no you know online searching of Canly or quicklaw no, or what, what do you call it now LexisNexis nexus Lexis, or whatever nexus. Well, I, and and clients and and we were we were working on you know limited resources for clients right? right so this was like a great opportunity for you to go to people in communities and help them
1: well not not only that um, because i had a reputation and experience. I did a lot of driving offense work. Right. And so I got hired by. Good point. Dozens of other lawyers to take their client and to go to the scene of where it took place and I would mount my camera, like the camera that's being used here. Yeah, yeah. And the client, the other lawyer's client would turn the camera on. So it was going to be their video and. I would make sure that I would shoot like the lights and things so you could see visibility and so you could see curves and, and things like that. And so it was quite popular for that. And
0: um, yeah, and you did defend a lot of driving offenses. I did. Yeah. You had, you had very good technical expertise.
1: And I worked as a Highway Traffic Act uh, prosecutor for three years. For that helped. Articles it. and things like that. And at night court at Old City Hall, my goodness, that was an experience. Night Court. Night, Night court. court. Yeah. Not the show. Like the it, was like, right. it was like it was <laughs> like the show. There was agents. They weren't paralegals in those days, but they'd be sleeping in the court waiting for their turn. <laughs> and it, it was just hilarious. You
0: know, this is great to talk about, but you know, those were um fun times. You know. They were. And for, you know, this is a great part of what we get to do every so often because disclosure back in 19 and it was pre us so i was called in 1993 burry you're in 1992 something like that roy when were you called 93 so we're the same year so we're old so you know disclosure is something that you get um when you write to the crown attorney's office and you want the evidence that's against your client so police officer's notes etc statements all that we were at the, we were at the tail end of the of the obscure concept of disclosure right. so you'd run a trial in 93 94 95 but before that as well and you wouldn't get the police officers notes so the cop morning of the officer would be testifying you'd get some notes the morning of you'd get a statement beforehand but do you remember when you started the trial and the officers testifying and then you go your honor, can I, uh, can I review the officer's notes? Right. Yes. and Talk I, about that. Cause I, you were crowned I re- too. I remember
1: going up to an
0: officer. Like, just get this for all of you who are under the age of like 50.
1: Okay. Just dig this. Shit, okay. And this was in Milton and I'm doing a, a trial and the, and the, it's in youth court. And I forget his name. He was just a crazy judge. Um, Anyway... Well, let's not say his name. Yeah. The officer, the officer is on the stand, and I he's reading from his notes. And um, I said, well, where does it say that? I'd like to review your notes. Can I ask the judge if I could approach the officer? And the officer's chuckling away. And when I go up there, the officer shows me his notes, and they're in shorthand. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah. It's not like you can... He's already told you what it says. Right. You think he's going to change what it says now? Oh, that's not what it says. I mean, if you think is bad now, Mm -hmm. like you have no clue,
0: like what we dealt with way back then. Literally, we would not get the police officer notes. The police officers would testify. uh, The officer would be allowed to refer to their notes to reflect, Mm -hmm. you know, upon what their memory was at the time. So or to refresh their memory. And then we'd ask permission to go up and yeah. look at the officer's notes. That was her disclosure of, the, of a majority of the case. Because, because back then, I'm sorry, there was no video statements, right? right. right? There was no video statements. The complainant statement was in the officer's notes. Right. Just think about that. Do me one favor. What year did you start as a Crown?
1: Was it 94? No, it would have been 93. Uh... Uh, 93 to 95 and
0: Stinchcomb came out when 94 95 94 95 I think no
1: it wasn't 95 it was before that yeah so Stinchcomb was a, and parks a, a landmark was, case. parks was 92 I think
0: yeah Burry can you just for legal purposes because you're the appellate genius in our office
1: that's just a rumor
0: plus good trial or t- tell us what Stinchcomb was and why this was transformative well, it basically put an obligation on the crown. Like, to don't, di- don't, just, just give it, because nobody understands how fucking bad it was pre-Stinchcomb. to this guy. Like, bad. It was bad. <laughs> it was like, give was us, bad. give us whatever you have, is what Stinchcomb said. So the crown now had to give us everything. Before trial, not the morning of, not the day before, in advance of the trial. So Imagine remember, that. So do you remember any trials as a crown just just before Stinchcomb where like
1: there was like a modicum of disclosure? I remember I used to have to disclose um, which they stopped making us disclose was use of force reports.
0: Right. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's because there would be always an issue about whether there was excessive force used or, or whatever. And so that raised the red flag that made it sort of more I'm good, so thank yeah. you. Yeah, you get, you it, gave, you it, it, made it made it more relevant and harder to say no to, right? It, you know, so this
0: this is amazing. Of course, so, try
1: and get a use of force report today.
0: It's crazy because, you know, Stinchcombe was the most transformative decision I can think of in yeah. criminal law. Huge, where we get disclosure of everything the crown has, and it was fought. For years, and it it took decades, you know, two decades, I think, frankly, to get to the point where we really do get everything. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, until the Gameshi case, where now we have to give them their our stuff too.
0: Well, now you're in our bailiwick, my friend. That's our that's that's our strike zone here.
1: That's um, let loose. That was a transformative case, in my opinion, where they rolled back. Common sense and 200 years of civil criminal law. Talk a- about and, it. And, and, and it's right just on, Roy. it's go, just go, beyond go. belief. Because frankly, pretend you're a criminal law almost rapper. Almost every just sex assault case that I've ever won was won on the fact of um, surprise, if you will. I have your text messages right. that you sent to my client where you said, uh, "Thank you for the dildo," as opposed to. Um, you assaulted me. Um, and of course now, nowadays you have to disclose all of that. They have to be given their own private lawyer.
0: We have to beg for permission to use it. Well,
1: what good is it once they have weeks to consider why they fabricated it?
0: I, I, you know, I, I, have, I have a pretty good perspective on that now. And I, and I have to say as skeptical as I was about the complainant's lawyers being involved in the process and the disclosure of the defense evidence, I'm now changing my position. And I've said this in a few episodes. You like that? No, no. But I'll say three things. One, there is an advantage when you have a judge alone trial to doing a very detailed application laying out your defense and all the evidence because the judge gets a preview of your story and why the complainant's not reliable or credible. Two, it forces us to very carefully lay out and plot our defense narrative. And three, I'm impressed with a number of complainant's lawyers that I've dealt with who have not disclosed the full extent of the defense evidence. They have not, they really have not. And I give them credit and I've, I've litigated against a number of them.
1: What could the possible reason be for that?
0: Honesty. They believe you? No, I think they want to be honest to the role. They don't think their role is to give the complainant an opportunity to um, come up with an excuse for what they did or what they wrote. They think it's just simply an opportunity to get instructions on how to address certain 276 and privacy issues. issues, and they don't want to um, taint the evidence. I, I, I have been delightfully, delightfully surprised by that, and I commend those lawyers that I've had those cases with. But we all, like you, have feared the worst, and sometimes we have met that. And I'll say one other thing, number four. When it has been fully disclosed, the complainant's desire to preempt my cross has resulted in their detriment because they have not been able to fully think through it in a way that we're able to capture it. But you're right, Roy.
1: There's nothing like surprise.
0: I agree. And it's not surprise. Let's not say that. It's not surprise. They know what they wrote. Right, but they... They know what they wrote.
1: They, they often seem to believe that these, these things they wrote went into a vacuum and they're unretrievable. Right. And so you box them into, well, you never did this and you never did that. You, didn't, you would never have said this, right? You would never have said that. And as long as you close the box tightly enough, yeah, bringing the stuff out, that's what I mean by surprise. Oh. <laughs> and, and what did that mean to you? <clears throat> Just one of those aha
0: moments. You know, those moments. But, but, but in the sense of, because we talk a lot about, in, and I've been vilified recently on X. What's X? Max, what's X? Twitter. Oh, yeah, Twitter. Yeah. Thanks, Elon. I, I, I need the uh, lexicon of it. But um, it's not, what does it mean to you as far as the evidentiary value of what they're saying? So it's not just me saying this.
1: These are liars. When, when I can do that and f- frankly most of the sex assault trials I've ever won have turned on that kind of issue that you've now proven yourself that you're a liar, liar, pants on fire. How can I believe anything you say? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just a Slight smear on the credibility. Right. This goes to the heart of the credibility.
0: Right, right,
1: right. But That's right. Of course, you have to make the box airtight. Right. I just had a trial in a human trafficking case where the client who got assaulted by my client, who was the, the pimp. The alleged pimp. The alleged pimp. Uh, there was no question that he was the pimp, though. Frankly. Okay. I mean, this was just a simple assault. It wasn't... He, it was a tangential... So he's a, he's a pimp? Tangential. Yeah. Assault so it's thing. a different An issue. So is a a pimp. Pimp. And he right. said that the guy had assaulted him. And the guy had taken great pains in his evidence to say that he um, was a total pacifist. He had no interest in physical violence at all of any sort. And... I took a long shot and looked him up on Facebook and found a picture of him in a Taekwondo gym with his MMA t-shirts behind him and... um There's a full-on MMA guy. Full-on MMA guy, yeah. yes. And um, I I was successful at boxing him in, but not 100% because then he said that he worked as a night cleaner there. <laughs> 100% Which Judge... Uh, a, the jurist didn't believe it for a second.
0: But let, let's focus back for a second on the sex assault cases that you've done. And, and again, I wanna be clear for our broadcast, okay, that we don't suggest in any way, shape or form that every sex assault allegation is false. In fact, there is a high percentage of legitimate true allegations of sexual assault. We don't say that. We have a specialty practice at our firm where people who believe that they're wrongfully accused come to us and we dig and dig and dig and find evidence to establish that so we see a high percentage of it but talking as old lawyers okay you know you get a sense when you're cross-examining when you're looking at the evidence when you examine it what passes the smell test right and often and and in and, and doing some of the sex assault cases you've done did you have that sense there was a false allegation?
1: Yes, I had uh, in many of them I had that sense. And in in many of them I had some kind of evidence that I was going to be able to produce that was so inconsistent with what human nature and human interaction was that it raised red flags for me. And so then you'd start to dig. And in your cross-examination, you would have to take two or three times as long as you thought it should take. Right. Because you need to tighten your boxes and flesh things out and show the absurdity of the positions, um, which isn't always that straightforward. Um, I like it much better when I have lots of text messages.
0: But you've been in the same position as we have with the occasional cases where you've got all these secondary sources of information, text messages, for example, emails, WhatsApp messaging, and you're looking at it and you've got a very rich, robust source of secondary information that shows that the complainant's narrative is false.
1: Absolutely. And- Thank God for the internet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And TikTok and shit that too. Oh yeah because
1: three quarters of the ones that I've won like that without that information um, likely aren't acquittals. Right you need it. You need it.
0: Yeah and 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 it's an interesting point because what we've tried to emphasize is when we say something that's we think is a false allegation we're not just relying on our client's version of events we're relying on these secondary and 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 sometimes tertiary sources of information where we can have where we have demonstrative evidence about lies
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's not rare no no it's not rare and, in my opinion and, and and that has value 30 plus years of litigation plus being a human being who's experienced
1: life <laughs> the ones that make me Smile occasionally are the ones that um, talk about the emphatic consents, where yeah. you know that no one in the world, on a Friday night at the bar, talks like that, right. and asks those questions. And yet, this is the evidence that you've that you're being presented with.
0: Let me shift gears for a moment, just to talk about because you had a really interesting story in your early days as a crown attorney about uh, jury selection and. Mm we've lamented on this podcast that now trying to pick a jury is a joke. There's no more selection. Give me the first 12. And, and you know nothing about potential <clears throat> jurors. I mean, compared to the United States who I think does a very good job of vetting jurors. We, it's a joke here. You, you had a great story without naming names. Right. So in my, in my
1: early days as a crown attorney, um, I was just starting to do jury trials and, uh, um, I was told before my first jury trial, if you go into the library, um, on the table, you'll find a, a vetted jury list from the sheriff's office. And it'll tell you everybody who's on the jury and jury panel. So it was 20 page document.
0: Right. Could be two, 300 people.
1: Right. And it'll tell you if they'd ever called the police, if the police had been called on them, where they worked, how long they worked there. just a, wealth of information Information to help you pick your jury now in those days uh, the first jury trial or or two i didn't think about it much but i had to do a case that was uh, a significant case where i'd got a call from the chief of police in brampton to make sure that my case was prepared and ready to go and I'd never got a call from anybody who was above a sergeant before, and so the red flags were waving. And it became obvious to me that these vetted jury lists, after Stinchcombe and Parks, um, Parks being the case, of course, that said that the selection of the jury goes to the guilt or innocence of the of the accused, and uh, Stinchcombe saying anything that goes to the guilt or innocence of the accused has shall to be, be disclosed. disclosed. And so... I went to the Crown Attorney and um, I said, there's a real problem here. And um, this is a guy who's successfully sued the Peel Police before for entry to a private dwelling. And I got the Chief of Police calling me. There's a extremely uh, competent defense counsel and I got, I'm gonna have this vetted jury list that Parsons Dinchcombe say, um, probably privacy law issues, would say I shouldn't have it to begin with, but uh, telling me that has to be disclosed. And yet I've been told, uh, keep this to yourself. Don't give this to anyone. Don't let the defense see it. Although the way you got the thing on the table in the library so you couldn't ever say who gave it to you, was a little smelly in the smell test kind of thing to begin with. But anyway, the head crown attorney at that time um, said um, nothing about it. Said, well, that's interesting. (laughs) And we had a conference at the Muskoka's that weekend. And this trial was supposed to start on the Monday. And so uh, one of our senior crowns came to see me uh, when we got up there and said, um, the Crown says he doesn't want you to say anything about this issue. At the conference? At the conference. He's asking me to write a position paper so that we can keep these things from the Sheriff's office. And I was befuddled because um, I may not be the brightest legal mind in the world, but I certainly understood what Mr. Stitchcomb said. And I knew there is no possible way you could write a position paper that could assist you with this. You're, it's game over. Right. So at the conference, um, I ended my Crown Attorney career by asking Michael Code, who was the Deputy Attorney General at the time, what you're supposed to do with these. He was a brilliant judge now. And. Um, of course, Michael Code said, "Well, they have to be disclosed immediately." And um, the next month, my contract wasn't renewed again. That was the end of your coincidence, course or, course. That was or not? The, that was the end of my. Uh, well, ostensibly, it was because I was supposed to go and and instruct the police on Friday afternoons at the division on uh, criminal harassment and things like that, and they asked me to do that because I. I mixed well with the police in those yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. Um, you got along with them. I got along with them, and I knew more than they did about things like drafting informations and things like that, and they were continuously screwing up the criminal harassment. So anyway, I had an opportunity to go uh, out of town on a free trip, and I got f- f- Frank Favre to... Take my spot for me over at the police division, yeah. because he also was one of the ones who was doing the Friday afternoon. Yeah. And uh, so ostensibly, I was fired because I did that.
0: Yeah, that 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 wasn't why you were fired. No, uh, <laughs> because he wants to disclose that doesn't sm- this jury vetting list. Yeah,
1: and what was amazing is uh, another very senior defense counsel had the same issue come up ten years later in Barrie and when I heard about it, I called him up and contacted him and told him how it, I understand that the Barry Crown's office is saying that they didn't know that they're supposed to disclose this. I said, it's kind of impossible since every Crown attorney's office was at the that conference. conference uh, Especially because it was in Muskoka. You know, it was huge. It was huge. I mean, there, there was like tables all around the biggest conference room and everybody was there. So, you know, I, I was saddened by that. That was just an example. You lost
0: your job because you were doing the right thing.
1: Yeah. And, I, and you know, and I really yeah. liked crowning as well. I, frankly, I didn't have enough real bad guys. We didn't have a guns and gang stuff at that time. I would have loved prosecuting guns and gangs. I was prosecuting um, an over 80 impaired almost every day. And
0: That's like bread and butter back
1: there, and and, and too well, and too many um, alcoholic domestic assaults that were of a extremely minor nature, that really should have been diverted in some fashion. Because yeah,
0: you want to do your job
1: with integrity. And I I, I liked prosecuting r- real bad guys, but there just weren't enough of them. Well, things have changed. Yes, they have the gun violence in those days was almost non-existent not not non-existent but certainly wasn't like it is today
0: but you know what i want to focus on and as we sort of close out this episode um you know back then you got access to a lot of information about a potential jury so the panel could be two three four hundred people that we have to pick from and that information the Crown Attorney had, so the Crown Attorney's office, and then you chose, did the right thing, had to be disclosed. And then as we fast forward years ahead to present, we know nothing. Both Crowns and defense know all about these potential juries. We cannot ask any questions, and now we can't even challenge for cause.
1: Well, you used to have a lot of stand-asides and stuff like that. We have nothing now. No, no.
0: There's guess. no preemptory challenges. Well, I, I guess you still have the challenge for cause with respect to, like, some small sh- you know, racial issues. Yeah. Which which is not small sh- it really but really is. But you have to draft. In the overall scheme, it actually really is small You
1: scale. have to draft your question in such a way that it's so non-offensive. That's correct. On, on the challenge for cause stuff. You, you, you can't come right out and ask.
0: Would your ability as a juror be hampered by the fact that the complainant is white and the accused is X.
1: No. It's ridiculous. Right, it's ridiculous. Uh, Anyone can... The people with the the strongest bias are the ones that will give the most emphatic no.
0: And the ones that don't want to be on the jury will say yes. Yes. They want to work the next day. (laughs) Yes. But we don't know anything about potential jurors. We're not allowed to preemptory challenge anybody. We're not allowed to even we we barely know we know a name and an occupation and so from where you came from this i find this so fascinating that you had that wealth of information back then to where we are now and it
1: was comprehensive f- i mean like unbelievably f- comprehensive I mean,
0: this is where the united states got it right there's so much of the us justice system and my US, and our us viewers can criticize me or not it's a f- up system there it's designed to crush people. I'm sorry. But they're great on jury selection. And we are horrible. You know why? Because our government doesn't want us to have juries. We want an undemocratic criminal justice system. Well, in my taking opinion. the
1: whole prelim away. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. How many times have a, a prelim been like the... The, the godsend the of defense godsend work. The godsend of defense work. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: No, you're absolutely right. Our government has done everything possible to restrict due process.
1: And I, I, don't, I just don't understand the reasons for it, because taking prelims away certainly doesn't save money. No. The prelim gets done in three days where the trial is going to take three weeks. And how many prelims? You okay?
0: Yeah, I'm just, I'm just checking my blood pressure.
1: Okay. Because Roy's hitting on a point that really drives me crazy in his absolute. It short circuits the the whole trial process. And then there's a Crown resolution meeting that's quite reasonable after...
0: uh, Or you have an exit pretrial.
1: Yeah. So
0: you have a, a meeting with the judge and the Crown after a prelim and discuss the merits of the case, and sometimes it gets withdrawn. And so our Prime Minister... Here we go, folks. And the Justice Minister at the time, who I never want to see in a position of authority ever, Justice... Uh, the Justice Minister was, uh, what's her name?
1: Judy Raybould. Yeah. Yeah. God, what a disaster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? I had hopes for her. I had hopes. As an indige- indigenous background would understand, you know, the stacks of, you know, difficulty for people of marginalized backgrounds and vulnerable to have justice and access to justice. And that was like, no. I'm just going to cut everybody off at the knees. And they decided to cut this off.
1: Well, she gave us the Gameshi stuff, too. She gave us so much
0: and, and And our prime minister just, you know, we don't want victims to be re-victimized so they don't have to testify over and over. you. You know what you left in place? So if it's sexual interference, which means it's sexual assault of somebody under 16, you get a prelim. That's somebody who could be re-victimized, right? But an adult, 40-year-old? No, we don't want them to be revict. victimized
1: I... Yeah, just do that Roy, for a bit. Thank you. Thank you. It was a
0: pleasure. This was lovely. Roy, thank you. You know, and cool. i got nice to tell you, I want that picture to be put up of the Mobile Law Office because this is criminal law lore. It was a brilliant idea. You brought it around. Criminal lawyers went into your your mobile office, to get case law.
1: Yeah. Well, especially, maybe not so much downtown, um, because I had trouble parking downtown. It was too (laughs) high. (laughs) However, in Brampton at the Clarence Street Court. Or York Region. Where there was absolutely zero library, it was the bomb. Thanks, man.
0: Thank you. Oh, uh, sorry, one other thing. No, wait. No, 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 no. Something before? Music. Are you in a band? He's
1: a one man band. I play in a number of bands. Um, but a blues band? Blues band, yeah. We did uh, Aaron Harnett, who's uh, another great criminal lawyer. Call- good colleague, fantastic piano player. Uh, works for the Rotary Club, and uh, he's hired our band the last three years to play at their. Um, I've seen Roy live. He's great. To yeah. play, What's to, the name of your band? The Blues Miners.
0: And what do you play harmonica, you, yourself. harmonica. A. it is all right. all right i just wanted to get that plug in because <laughs> i love it
1: i'm not actually in the band but i played with them 150 times so i can sit in with them at any time
0: roy and, and i gotta it. have more harmonica i gotta have more i've got a fever and the only cure for it is more harmonica <laughs> That's from an snl thing but yes. that's great i love it i saw it on he's excited on Engage facebook and instagram folks. and i think that's amazing
1: you have to give us your phone number if anyone it needs a harmonica player uh, my passion
0: right on well thank you roy for you get to on.
1: hold the pillow roy, As All we right. sign off
0: here, hold, here. Gonna, uh. okay so uh, thank you everybody for watching and don't forget to like comment subscribe share And send us your comments and and questions. And frankly, on our last podcast, I got some great uh, emails and and comments about what everybody wants to hear. So keep it up. Thank you so much for your support and for your viewership. We really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Roy. Thank Thank you,
1: Roy. Pleasure, Joe. Good
0: night, everybody.